You're listening to The Sport Market. Here to rack the bulls and bears of sport business. Your host, Tom Mayonect. It's an American Thanksgiving weekend. Certainly, arguably, the biggest American holiday in terms of its impact on the business of being a Canadian. And make no mistake, when I was a little guy, we had our October 11th, and that was definitely primetime Thanksgiving. And certainly, you know, the NFL had gotten into its triple header back in those days, and that, you know, still survives and is what the whole Thanksgiving weekend experience is built upon in that triple header, uh, wall-to-wall NFL football that that weekend. But you didn't have Black Friday making its mark in Canada as a U.S. construct. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's so big in terms of American retail that given this era of social media and online media, you can't avoid it. Communications is continental. Communications is global. So things like the American Thanksgiving holiday, there's higher awareness of that among Canadians than ever ever before by a wide margin. Black Friday is now, you know, even more impactful in terms of the business of sport with the first Black Friday game on Amazon Prime on Friday. And then you've got Small Business Saturday. That is something that will take a long time, uh, you know, to to permeate here in Canada. That's still very much a made in the USA equation. But then you've got Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday. And those are real factors in the business of business, the business of life, and of course, the business of sport here in Canada. It's amazing how the impact of that construct of NFL football and the holiday on the Thursday, you know, even when I was a little guy, my my American friends, they didn't have the whole week off school the way a lot of kids in public schools in the United States have the entire week off. And again, there's a domino effect. It's not just NFL football, but the NHL, the NBA, uh, you know, take full advantage of it as well. We've got a lot of ground to cover here on this American Thanksgiving weekend, including our podium funded by Alpine Credits, the top three sport business stories of the week. We'll also roll out our bulls and bears, the biggest winners and losers in the business of sport. And we'll get to John Festinger giving us his take on the good, the bad, and the ugly in the business of sport. That and a lot more to get into. Uh, Tino Ferra in the producer's chair. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, uh, Tino, you're in that millennial demographic. Have you felt the same thing that the rise of Black Friday uh, has become even more prominent here in Canada? And it's just not to do with NFL football, but across multiple, uh, you know, lines of business and industry? Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, like in Canada, it, when you're looking to, to buy something, you're looking for a deal, it's the, the line is always, okay, well, Boxing Day is just around the corner, but now there's the pre-Boxing Day, Black Friday is around the corner, and to line it up with sports like you've been talking about, when one of the most uh, marketed companies in the world in Amazon is is featuring the game that's on uh, Black Friday, it's just, it's it's a perfect storm. And it's a perfect segue into this week's Podium. Now, with the top three sports business stories of the week, 
Here's the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits. Own your home and need a loan? Homeowners get approved. Apply now at alpinecredits.ca. For background on the stories, go to thesportmarket.biz. Matt Canada was the offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is now out of a job. Eddie Faulkner, his replacement as the new OC for uh, Mike Tomlin's Pittsburgh Steelers. But the reason why this is in the podium is the fact that it's the first time since 1941. Yes, you heard me right. 1941. First time in 72 years that the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching change. They've obviously had three head coaches for the last three or four generations, which is a remarkable story in and of itself. But the fact that this organization has made that commitment to continuity, that commitment to patience and not changing their head coaches as the easiest default mechanism is a tribute to the Rooney family. It's a tribute, of course, to the head coaches uh, involved going all the way uh, back to Chuck Knoll back in those 1970s with the uh, the Steel Curtain uh, Pittsburgh uh, Steelers. Certainly, it made history and it had a lot of tongues wagging. Uh, Ken Reed of Sportsnet had Kyle Brandt on earlier this week talking about the Matt Canada firing. Because first of all, I want to go on record with you, Ken, in this program I don't know about the Steelers. I never turn my back on Canada. Never. I stand with Canada. I, I will stay with Canada. Great products, great people, great entertainment. But in this particular case, really terrible professional offense. Matt Canada probably had to go. They've not scored 30 points this year. They scored 10, 10, 6, and 9. They have their second best running back playing, their best receiver wanting to leave town, and their quarterback has turned into some sort of junior varsity thing overnight. Mike Tomlin almost never aspires assistants, let alone coordinators. He did it. I think it will help. That is Kyle Brandt on Sportsnet earlier this week talking about the firing of Matt Canada and certainly not to pile on, but the prevailing wisdom was that he was not doing the job. Certainly the Rooney family was compelled to move, work against history, work against the way they normally do business. That's how the situation had deteriorated in a lot of uh, observers' eyes. In the silver medal position, a number two sport business story of the week, it is Late night sport television news as late night talk as late night TV. Scott Van Pelt of ESPN Sports Center, his late night show is now in the 18 to 34 demographic, the millennial demographic, the young adult demographic, outdrawing to the Tonight Show 90,000 to just over 30,000. That's a three to one margin in that 18 to 34 demographic. And it makes you wonder if late night sports news is the new late night television. Yeah, that's a cannonball off a very tall building in terms of the splash. And earlier in the show, Woj, we show how jumbled up the West is. And look, part of that's because Phoenix had, uh, you know, an injury to Booker. They're a very different team when he's on the floor. That goes without saying. But now they become a completely different team with, with Kevin Durant. Uh, and I get the Phoenix piece with, with Ishbia wanting to make a splash, and you do. From, from Brooklyn's perspective, you called it a great experiment. That's one way to put it. That is Scott Van Pelt. And of course, that's from earlier this fall when Kevin Durant was traded to the Phoenix Suns. But he's always got at least two or three 
storylines that he delivers his opinion. It, it it makes it very compelling late night sport television. And of course, young fans, young viewers in particular are responding. But in the gold medal position, our number one sport business story of the week in a very bullish week for football, what with the Grey Cup being up 12% year over year, having uh, 8.9 million Canadians watching in the aggregate cumulative audience watching for at least a minute, tuning in for at least some of the game, if not all of the game, a, a strong halftime show, a very strong halftime show by Green Day. And make no mistake, this is one of these years where the gap between the CFL halftime talent and, 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 and show is relatively small uh, when compared to Usher and him doing the Las Vegas Super Bowl in February. Monday Night Football, biggest audience in 27 years on Monday night, 29 million average national audience. Thanksgiving, the three games featuring, even though two of the three were very uncompetitive, one of the routes, Cowboys over Commanders, sets an almost record in the NFL, 41 million. It's top three all-time regular season games. And then, of course, the Black Friday special. And that's the big storyline Amazon, who's already paid a billion dollars for the rights to Thursday Night Football, tacked on an additional $100 million to its tab to get the rights to Black Friday Football. So streaming on Amazon south of the border is the only way that fans could access the Friday Night Football, the uh, sorry, the um, Black Friday Football game, which because of anti-exemption, Uh, antitrust exemptions and the 1961 Sport Broadcasting Act. It couldn't be in prime time on Friday night because that would compete with high school football. It had to be a 3 p.m. Eastern start, 12 noon Pacific start. And for Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins, it was another big victory as they go to eight and three. That was a different win than any that I've, since I've been here, okay? And here's the reason, okay? In the division um, and down the stretch in football, they talk about two things that win down the stretch. They talk about defense and they talk about running the ball. Okay? Um, Well, I think we got seven sacks defense. (laughs) Understand that this is a very important game. I was very proud of how it was obvious from the jump that you got this is your game to have um, and you guys earned that. That is Miami Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel addressing the Dolphins post-game after their win over the New York Jets. What an end to the first half, but ultimately the Dolphins prevail. They go to 8-3, and three, and I'll tell you something. It is a very interesting American football conference, a very interesting AFC uh, now with where the uh, Chiefs are at, the Dolphins are at, the Baltimore Ravens are at. Uh, you know, even you just stop the line there. There's a lot of talking points about those. And of course, uh, for those of our listeners in Southern Ontario, Buffalo Bills, they've got their work cut out for them. Absolutely no question. And for our listeners in Western Canada, Seattle Seahawks, definitely in trouble after that uh, loss to the San Francisco 49ers, a pretty handy loss for Brock Purdy, a win for Brock Purdy and the 49ers. That is our Fast Podium, funded by Alpine Credits. Wanted to get quick approval from you on it, but set things up for the week's biggest winners and losers. 
That's coming up next. It's our bulls and bears here on the Sport Market, on the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network. Now more of the Sport Market, rating and debating the bulls and bears of sports business. Excuse me for a second. Pops on the mic. We stop all the booing, let these guys play. It's got no class. It's not who we are. Knock off the booing. That's Greg Popovich, head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, who took the microphone from the PA address announcer in San Antonio while Kawhi Leonard was preparing for his second free throw from the line. And you heard him there. He asked for the hometown fans to stop booing. Now, of course, complicated history there. Kawhi Leonard basically turned his back on the Spurs, uh, uh, was looking for a trade, wound up being traded, not necessarily to his first choice, but wound up being traded to the Toronto Raptors and, of course, leading the Raptors to their first ever NBA championship back in 2019. Uh, Certainly, again, a complicated context, but this is a very interesting slippery slope to me. Listen, I'm all about sportsmanship and there's certain things you draw the line, but these are also paying customers. They're buying a ticket and freedom of speech and freedom of criticism is part of being a fan. And although cheering and carrot stuff is always better than booing and stick stuff, so to speak, it, it 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 got me to thinking, you know, where you draw the line on this in terms of what is acceptable conduct by the home fans. And now of course, we know that you can get penalized in some sports for uh, throwing objects onto the ice and all that kind of stuff. I completely get, but the but the concept of 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 booing. That was an interesting one for me. Tino Ferrer, of course, in the producer's chair. Uh, your your take, Tino, on Greg Popovich and, you know, literally taking the mic in his hands and taking control of the situation and asking fans to lay off on Kawhi Leonard. I think it's hilarious, but I think it's dumb. I, like, you nailed it. These people are paying customers. Obviously, there's the line. Like, to me, this kind of continues to fit into the narrative that that players in the NBA are a little bit soft. There's been so many circumstances where we've seen players speak out about, oh, this guy in the front row said something to me. And, and of course, when you're crossing the line, that has to be taken incredibly seriously. But when paying customers are just booing you and voicing their displeasure, for somebody to go over the mic and say, hey, don't do that, like you could even hear it in the end of the clip. Some of the fans continue boo. Some of them start cheering. It's like they didn't really know what to do when Pop is telling them to stop. He's Tino Ferrer. I'm Tom Manick. We're both very happy to have you along for the ride here. We're on the sport market. We're on the Sportsnet Radio Network, and we're rating, debating the bulls and bears of sport business. And talking about the bulls and bears, here's the week's biggest winners and losers. It's time for the bulls and bears of sports business. Winners and losers in the business of sports. The fast-rising stocks and the ones who've fallen. Football has won the week, and by a large margin. And that's true 
on both sides of the border. From the drama of a last-minute Grey Cup victory by the underdog Montreal Alouettes over the favoured Winnipeg Blue Bombers to one of the busiest and one of the most watched weeks of NFL football in the league's regular season history. In the business of three-down football, first of all, the CFL is basking in the limelight of what was an average national audience of 3.57 million viewers in Canada last week, 2.8 million in English, and 751,000 in French. Pumped up by a terrific halftime show by Green Day, the 110th Grey Cup not only drew a cumulative audience of 8.9 million Canadians, It also set records in digital and social media with 1.6 million video views, a record, and 7 million media impressions, an online record for the Grey Cup. In the NFL, though, south of the border, American Thanksgiving took both linear television and streaming video to the next level. It all began with the most watched Monday Night Football game in 27 years, with an average U.S. national audience of 28.96 million watching the Philadelphia Eagles go to 9-1 by defeating the Kansas City Chiefs across ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN Deportes, the Spanish uh, uh, network, and NFL+. Plus. Now check this out. Not since 1996, when 31.5 million viewers watched the Green Bay Packers play the Dallas Cowboys, had Monday Night Football drawn numbers north of this week's 29 million. That spans more than 450 Monday Night Football games, and it spans the entire ESPN era. Now, the fan frenzy continued with the traditional Thanksgiving Day triple header on Thursday, And on that note, a near NFL regular season record for audience, 41 million tuning in to watch the Cowboys manhandle the Washington Commanders. Friday, Black Friday, was the first ever Black Friday game on Amazon Prime. That opened up even more new territory for the NFL, giving the Shield a record six standalone games in seven days. And by standalone games, of course, I'm talking Sunday night football, primetime on Sunday, Monday night football, primetime on Monday, the Thursday trifecta, which although there's some overlap, they're essentially standalone games, those three, and then the Black Friday special on Friday. Make no mistake, this is a win-win. It allows Amazon to get people staying close to their computers and their devices and maybe doing less conventional retail in exchange for their $100 million investment to have the rights for the Black Friday game. And of course, they pre-promote the heck out of the Black Friday game on Amazon Prime on Thanksgiving Thursday. Our Bears of the Week. The biggest losers this week. Listen, it was a big step backward for the golf league, the indoor golf initiative led by Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. That step backwards was the deflation of the bubble at its headquarters in Jupiter, Florida. Now, that resulted in TGL postponing its launch by a full year. That's the collateral damage here, a full year's delay. Instead of making its debut with six franchises in January of 2024, it won't do so now until the same time in 2025. It was also a tough week for the Chicago Blackhawks of the NHL, although they bounced back Friday with an OT victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Despite a terrific career start for the much-heralded generational rookie Connor Bedard, who has 10 goals, 6 
six assists in his first 17 games. The Blackhawks dropped five straight games before before defeating the Leafs on Friday. Same for the Minnesota Wild, who had lost five going into the weekend. Yet no one, despite their own 5 nothing win on Friday against the Washington Capitals, no one has had a rougher week on the ice, on social media, and in fan forums than the 5-12-1 Edmonton Oilers. The coaching change from the fired Jay Woodcroft to rookie head coach Chris Knobloch, former junior coach to Connor McDavid, hasn't remedied again before last night's 5 nothing win. The poor goaltending that has seen the Oilers lose three straight going into the weekend uh, before their convincing win against the Capitals on Friday. They lost seven of their last 11 games. In fact, the move has only crystallized concern around who is in charge in Edmonton. Now, the question of where the buck stops is not a new one for the Oilers. It's been an active discussion since Jeff Jackson, the former agent for McDavid, was hired as CEO of Hockey Operations in August. That parachuted him into a spot between owner Daryl Cates and veteran general manager Ken Holland. Add in vice chair of Oilers Sports and Entertainment Bob Nicholson, former CEO of Hockey Canada, who hired Holland... And it's also caused the impression that the Oilers may have too many chefs in the crowded kitchen of hockey operations. And, and Tino Ferro, is that your sense as well? I mean, it's become convention to have presidents of hockey operations and then GMs, but typically they're hired in reverse order. The president is hired first. He handpicks his general manager in Edmonton. Ken Holland was there reporting directly to ownership and to um, uh, Bob Nicholson. Now he's got Connor McDavid's former agent, Jeff Jackson, in between. It just, the whole thing just continues the narrative in the Edmonton situation this whole season that it's just, I mean, Jason Bruffla has kind of coined the term the Canadian tire fire. Like that's just what seems to be going on in Edmonton. And it, it seems to be going on from the top to the bottom, all the way down to the players. Yes, and listen, uh, you know me, and we'll get into the group of seven in just a second. I'm the kind of uh, Canadian that would love to see all seven Canadian-based teams make it to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'm rooting for the Oilers. I, I think, you know, having more Canadian teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's just, it's good for everybody. It's good for the business of hockey in Canada. It's good for grassroots hockey. It's it's good for the individual franchises. It's good for the media rights holders. It's just playing good. And you, you, you got to get to at least four of seven Canadian teams making it to get into that over-under of having enough to work with when it comes to prime time for the NHL in Canada, which of course is the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. But I do think... They'll still make the playoffs, but not because they've hired Chris Knobloch and fired Jay Woodcroft. I think they're just too good. Too many players have been performing under average, and that has set them up going forward. They've got to get more of the four assist performances like Connor McDavid delivered, and the two goal performances likely on dry settle. That is the Edmonton Oilers, and that's their pathway back into playoff contention. We'll get into our group of seven, and the good, the bad, and the ugly, and our penny stocks, all with John Festinger next, right here on the Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to The Sport Market 
Once again, here's your host, Tom Manette. And away with it is Ehlers. One-on-one against Balinskis. Ehlers gets to the net and he scores upstairs. What a goal by Ehlers and it's 2-0 in the third. What a goal is right. The Winnipeg Jets defeat the Florida Panthers in, of course, an important game for Rick Bonus, uh, his first game back after taking a few weeks off to be with his wife Judy uh, over health concerns, of course, and treatment and uh, a lot of emotion in that 24-hour period leading to the win over the Florida Panthers. But it's a perfect segue hearing that Ehlers play call to our group of seven feature where the Canadian teams are at, where the seven Canadian-based teams are at going into the weekend. Now, if the playoffs began today, three of the seven teams would be in playoff position. That would include the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are in the number one wild card in the Eastern Conference. They're going to the weekend at 10-5-3 after losing an OT to Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks on Black Friday. They've got 23 points behind only the, uh, well, behind the Boston Bruins, who are at the top of the charts in the Eastern Conference. Then you've got the Winnipeg Jets. They're number two in the Central Division. Vision with 26 points at 12, 5, and 2. They've quietly been operating under the radar and have got themselves into a good divisional position so far. And there's no reason to think that the way the Jets are playing right now isn't sustainable over the course of the season now that we're past that, you know, uh, milestone mark of American Thanksgiving being an indicator, predictive indicator of where teams are at the end of the road. And of course, number two in the Pacific Division, arguably the best story in the National Hockey League because of how low the expectations were going in. It is the Vancouver Canucks. They would be the third Canadian team to qualify for the playoffs if they began today. Despite losing three of their last four, they had a big win Friday night against the Seattle Kraken um, at Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle to take their record to 14-6-1. Check it out. The Canucks are at 29 points going into a Saturday night game against the San Jose Sharks at the SAP Center in Silicon Valley. They're just one point out of top spot. They're just one point behind the Canucks are in the top three records in the NHL. Number one, uh, Uh, Number one and number two, Boston and the Vegas Golden Knights. And then number three, the Vancouver Canucks. That is our group of seven check-in. We're going to get to the good, the bad, and the ugly in the practices of sport with uh, John Festinger of Chandler Fogden Lyman. But before we go there, your take as to the Canadian team's, what is the biggest surprise? Is it the Canucks or is it the Winnipeg Jets? I think you've got to say it's the Canucks closely followed by the Jets. I mean, the Jets have had a pedigree of knocking on the door or we thought would be knocking on the door the last few years and have always been disappointing. Uh, The Canucks' disappointment has surpassed even the Jets um, in terms of underperformance. And then the contrast to how incredibly well they're playing uh, is just such a gulf, as opposed to the Jets, who are playing as well as they were supposed to play the last couple of years. 
Now, John, let's just spend a couple of moments on the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, uh, I'm bearish on the Oilers. I'm bullish on the fact that I still think, despite this horrific start, they're going to make the playoffs in the, in the Western Conference. I really believe they will. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that 5 nothing win over the Capitals on Black Friday is the tonic that, that gets both Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, who had monster games, both of them, out of their, their respective funks. But it still doesn't solve what I consider to be a major hockey operations issue and a major sport business issue, hockey business issue, and that is who's really calling the shots with the Oilers? Because it's one thing to have a comprehensive front office, and a lot of them now have president hockey operations and general manager. But typically in that situation, the president of hockey operations hires his general manager, and there's a clear sort of, you know, 1A and 1B hierarchy there. And the president either directly communicates to ownership or communicates in tandem with the general manager. In this particular case, Ken Holland was there reporting directly to owner Daryl Cates and to Bob Nicholson, his friend and former Hockey Canada uh, CEO. Now, Jeff Jackson, Connor McDavid's former agent, is the CEO hockey operation to Daryl Cates, bypassing both Ken Holland and Bob Nicholson. Uh, I just think that at the end of the day, the Oilers... To have long-term sustainable success, to make the most of this uh, uh, McDavid-Dreisaitl window, they've got to have a much more streamlined front office, one in which you know where the buck stops. And I don't think a lot of fans know exactly where the buck stops. Is it with Ken Holland or is it it with uh, Jeff Jackson? Well, whether the fans know where the buck stops, the real issue is whether the, the, those involved know where the buck stops. And I kind of doubt that they do uh, because the structure is so confused and you just keep adding people with new titles at the same or higher level. It, it, it doesn't work in an organization when you have pre-existing people and you parachute others in over them, especially if it isn't done without their full agreement and consent. So there's, there's a lot to be written um, and, and reflected on. But here's what we do know. The Oilers have miserably underperformed. Um, they were my pick to go to the Stanley Cup. Mine and, as well. And win the Stanley Cup. Mine and, as well. And now we're debating whether they even make the playoffs. And we think they will. Every time they win the game, we uh, win a game, we go, okay, well, this is it. We think they'll now you know, go on a hot streak. But then... There have been a couple of times that they just haven't. So a lot of clarity is required and something is deeply structurally wrong. And eventually we'll find out because this stuff comes out in the end. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm trying not to be an apologist for Ken Holland because he certainly made some mistakes. The Jeff Campbell signing, uh, a bad bad acquisition, bad contract, and he certainly hasn't lived up to what the Oilers needed, which is real stability in goal. Uh, He's now in Bakersfield of the American Hockey League. That's not where you're putting that kind of a contract. So Ken Holland has made mistakes, no question. Having said that, I believe it's harder to operate 
as a general manager, especially a veteran GM like Ken Holland, when you've got an additional set of eyes watching your every move. I remember Pat Gillick, who became a friend, of course, uh, during the uh, launch of the Toronto Raptors back in the day. And he told me when he invited me you know, to to have lunch with them at a Seattle Mariners game back in the day here on the West Coast, uh, he said, you know, I've thought about this empowerment issue a lot and, and not to make excuses. But when I was in Baltimore, I had an owner looking over my shoulder and baseball man, but even a good baseball man can have doubts raised when you're always being second-guessed by your owner. He didn't have that issue with the consortium that owned the Toronto Blue Jays in 1992 and 1993 back-to-back World Series championships. He didn't have that with the Nintendo corporate ownership in Seattle, and they had a record-setting performance there. It didn't win uh, a pennant, but had a record-setting performance. And they also... Uh, He didn't have that kind of intervention with the Philadelphia Phillies when they won a World Series. The one time was when he had, um, uh, you know, ownership looking over his shoulders in Baltimore. I don't think there's a coincidence. And I think not to make excuses for for Ken Holland, because this situation with Jeff Jackson is just since August. But I think there's going to be there's going to have to be some change to make it a more streamlined, accountable structure, in my view. Well, this is on Daryl Cates. This is Daryl Kate's fault. This is the owner's fault. Um, whether he let this happen or he was the cause of this happening, parachuting someone in um, confuses authority. If you're parachuting somebody in so that they will be eyes and ears for ownership because ownership doesn't want to do it directly, I can't say if that's what's happening in Edmonton. What we can say in Edmonton about Edmonton is that it's failing that the organization is failing right now and shouldn't be because it should be the best team in hockey and it isn't. That is on ownership first and foremost. They messed this up. He's John Festinger. I'm Tom Manick. We're both happy to have you along for the ride. John, uh, let's t- get into the good, the bad, and the ugly in the business of sport. On the good side of things, especially after a week of negativity and, 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 and criticism, Formula One in Las Vegas, winds up being not bad at all, thank you. It actually outdraws the television audience for the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin, Texas earlier this year. Check it out. 1.312 1.312 million on ESPN, and that's between 12.54 a.m. Eastern and 3.04 a.m. Eastern. We're talking like when most of the East Coast is already asleep, it still outdrew the U.S. Grand Prix. Now, of course, other storylines, um, there were uh, apparently... Uh, record set in terms of handles bet over the weekend on auto racing. Also, record tips, not since Super Bowl in February, have Vegas dealers benefited financially from the tourism in town. What's your take and what what happens uh, moving forward? They just continue to build and maybe correct some of the weaknesses of the startup glitches? So... Uh, obviously, this was a good enough performance. What was significant, um, I don't know if it was a record for Formula One, but there were an enormous amount of passing in that race. There was a lot of passing and repassing, and you generally don't see that in auto racing, much less in Formula One. So it was a super interesting event to watch. The question to me is, 
is Formula One the new NFL? Is it uh, sprinkled with gold dust when it comes to broadcasting? Is it essentially impenetrable? Are they building a franchise that is just not going to let go of the public the way the NFL has, despite all of us, including occasionally me, uh, naysaying about the NFL that it, it's it's going to go uh, it's going to go down. Its ratings are going to go down, uh, and they just go from strength to strength. I think we may be seeing the beginnings of that with Formula One. We're going to get into the rest of the good, the bad, and the ugly just around the corner. Also, still to come this hour. Our commitment to finishing strong with some penny stocks, some of the smaller sport business storylines that can make it to the big board in the coming weeks and months. You're listening to us rate and debate the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sport Market Radio Network and the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to the Sport Market on Sportsnet 650. First down from the 13-yard line for Miami. Long, long drive continues. With the touchdown, Monster taking it in. Tua Tagovailoa to Mosher for another Dolphins touchdown. They run away with it in the second half over the New York Jets in the first ever Black Friday National Football League extravaganza. Now, given the 1961 American Sport Broadcasting Act and given antitrust legislation and antitrust exemptions, the NFL could do the Friday, but not in prime time. They're really restricted by that legislation to not compete against uh, high school football on Friday in prime time, Friday evenings, and against college football on Saturdays. Now, they work around it during the day towards the end of the season, but no question This is something that couldn't happen, at least without violating the law, if it was in prime time. So hence, it's a 3 p.m. Eastern start, 12 noon Pacific. Dolphins take out the Jets in that first ever Black Friday game. And on the business side of it, and this is part of the Sport Market Podium funded by Alpine Credits, our top three sport business stories of the week, Amazon paying a billion dollars for its Thursday night football rights, which they have except for the opening weekend and on Thanksgiving evening. They basically have the rest of the 14 or 15 games for a billion dollars. That's the price tag that they've paid the NFL for those rights. For Black Friday as a standalone, they're paying an additional $100 million. But think of it from an Amazon point of view. You're giving your subscribers one more reason to stay at home instead of go to conventional retail on Black Friday. We've got John Festinger in the studio talking the good, the bad, and the ugly, Uh, certainly also on the good side of things. uh, ESPN, uh, you know, in that 600,000 average national audience in the 18 to 34 age category, it's not all viewers, that's just the millennial audience. That's up 41% in that category. Numbers up overall 22%. Both ESPN and TNT doing a very good job south of the border, John. And my theory in terms of good practices in the business of sport is they're really using personality to drive connections to younger fans. And I'll tell you, I was watching Biz Nasty and Gretzky on TNT. Uh, They were having a lot of fun. 
It had to be late night television, given some of the stuff that they're talking about. But uh, I think we in Canada can continue to learn to diversify our talent to cover all bases of the demographic spectrum. I would argue that uh, ESPN and TNT are doing a very good job coming out of the gates in the first you know, couple of years of their relationship with the NHL. Well, you know what? What they're doing is not rocket science if you look at it with some perspective. What is what? What are the younger demographic doing? They are on social media, and they are being influenced by influencers. That's not something uh, that that the older generations understand. The position of influencers in society today, and so what what is happening is that broadcasters are putting influencers on their broadcasts, and it's drawing the younger audience. It it actually is pretty simple to explain. Will it spread? Of course it will, and it'll come north of the border already. I've seen Biz Nasty on Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, I expect him to be a recurring character there. Uh, in terms of bad practices in the business of sport, listen, uh, Drive to Survive is a big success for Netflix and for F1, but the Netflix Cup requires some work that was pretty <laughs> bad television there's just no question but the the quick thought that i wanted to get from you is live golf and the pga tour they're they're going to miss their december 31st deadline to negotiate their future but live golf has gone ahead and has scheduled a series of calendar conflicts with the pga tour this can't be good for the business of men's golf no it, it- practice. It's also strategic on their part to keep the pressure on. It's kind of it, it's kind of ugly. I wouldn't put it in the ugly category because it's not going to change the world. Uh, but it's 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 not a very nice thing to do. It's part of their tactics. Live golf is who they've always been in my view. Um, and I think they're a very, very problematic partner for anyone. Right now, PIF, uh, you know, in play to invest a billion dollars in the PGA Tour. Uh, but it's very, very interesting. PGA Tour now talking about offering its players equity. But there's a lot of things in play, a lot of fluidity, certainly nothing confirmed. Reminds me of the so-called XFL-USFL merger, which is moving forward at a snail's pace. We've only got about 30 seconds here, John. but in the ugly practices in the business of sport, James Dolan, the New York Knicks, Madison Square Garden Entertainment, and a Knicks lawsuit, $10 million against Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, Larry Tannenbaum, uh, for stealing industry practices, stealing franchise data. A lot of eye rolling here uh, among those in the know. Uh, I think this uh, will was not uh, the first uh, bad move that James Dolan has made. This is not the first lawsuit he's going to lose uh, in sports. He essentially lost one to the NHL in 2009-2010 over the internet. Uh, this is Dolan being Dolan. John Festinger, big shout out and thank you. Uh, John Festinger from Chandler Fogden Lyman here on the sport market. Those are are good, bad, and ugly. We'll get into the penny stocks later this weekend. You can also follow us on Twitter slash X at the Sport Market. That's T-H-E Sport Market. We'll close out the hour with this lighter side take on the business of sport. (laughs) 
The Sports Market on Sportsnet 650 presents The Rolfson Report, the comedy of sport with Torben Rolfson. Somewhat bewildering dark nights in the NHL schedule Tuesday and Thursday this past week. Alberta breathed a collective sigh of relief. In fact, Edmonton and Calgary asked if they could just replace the rest of their home schedules with country music concerts. The Montreal Canadiens announced a multi-year road jersey sponsorship deal with Air Canada. So, for example, when the Habs play in New York, their white uniforms will have an Air Canada logo on it. Unfortunately, those jerseys will probably be at Logan Airport in Boston. The NHL and NHLPA are aiming to stage a Four Nations Cup tourney in February 2025, featuring Canada, the U.S., Sweden, and Finland. Gary Benton was outvoted. He was pushing for the four teams to be the U.S., Latvia, Kazakhstan, and Jamaica. And the Maple Leafs had a successful trip to Sweden. Good thing they didn't try that back in the Harold Ballard era. Team breakfast at Ikea, $23. No tip. You've been listening to The Rolfson Report, the comedy of sport with Torben Rolfson, a special feature of the sport market. Listen again on the podcast and stay tuned Tuesdays at noon at Facebook.com. Sport Market.